This podcast contains adult language. DigitalDarren.com. Today is June 24th, 2020, and we are doing something different. Because of COVID, we don't have any real sports time, sports content, and we talked about community race. We're getting back to some of the more... You're diversifying. Spark, we're diversifying. Thank you so much. We're getting back to more of the music, movie, TV content, and we are kicking off a series, a mini-series, and it's called Darren Watches the Wire, and... If you don't know, we did a Patreon podcast, episode zero, explaining why we are doing this series. Because, one, I've never seen The Wire before. And two, what? <laughs> if you didn't know, that voice is the first lady of DigitalDarren.com. She's a Wire fan and a Wire connoisseur. So, if you're on a Patreon listener, go be- subscribe to our Patreon. Trust me, it's re- full of really good content. We give you exclusive content, early access to content. And... That episode zero is running on Patreon right now. We're going to run all the episodes of the miniseries on DigitalDarren.com. And what this is will be after every season, we'll have a discussion. And it's basically Darren watches The Wire. And First Lady and myself will talk about, you know, my thoughts on it, her thoughts on it. And we'll go from there. And just to set the table minute real quickly, like I said before, I've never seen The Wire. She's a wire connoisseur. So... It's gonna be. It's gonna lead to some interesting conversation. First off, thank you for joining us. You know, thank you for having me. Because all the time, I just hear you key keying it up with all your little girlfriends upstairs, and I hear Calhoun and Rashad and everybody. But I, you know, I don't get to participate. You know, it's a boys' club, so to speak. I have listened. I have heard other females in the past. Only when you're talking about relationships. Never heard them on anything else. We don't get invited to sports stuff. I like sports. I play fantasy football. But I don't get invited to those. So it felt really good for you to extend, you know, your hand and say, babe, do you want to do a podcast? Can I watch The Wire with you? Let's do something together. So kudos to you for trying to step up your husband game, which is already pretty good. I'm not going to throw you under the bus in that way. And, you know, do something together. So thank you for having me. As always, it's a pleasure to have you on. And you support my creative endeavors. I appreciate that. But that's not about how great a team we are. We're, this is about The Wire, yeah. season one. And this took me by surprise because you've always said, you know, you and other people said, you got to watch The Wire, you got to watch The Wire, you got to watch The Wire. And I was like, why, 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 why? And you like, during this COVID time, let's watch The Wire. So it started out, you started watching it. Like, I think you were two episodes in. And I just said, hey, I'll join in with you. Mm-hmm. So... The table was set before I actually start watching. Mm-hmm. And so we can jump in and talk about kind of, I went back and watched the first two episodes without you. Let's, let's kick it off. McNulty. This whole thing starts off. This is a whole bumblefuck of ass backwards and oh, somebody walked, tripped into a million dollar type situation, right? Like it's a whole, this whole, this whole first series is a whole bunch of happy coincidences that leads down the path of something bigger. And well, I don't know if I would say happy. I don't but know if I coincidences. Would say coincidences. I don't know if that's technically the right term. 
but you do see how one's person one person's action the uh what's it called the reactions the consequences of this and the ramifications for a whole entire group of people because of one person one cop she gets a bug in his ass jimmy mcnulty yep so <clears throat> we're not gonna walk through each episode like we're just gonna talk high level so starts out because basically D. Angelo Barksdale, a character we're going to talk about. Your favorite. My favorite character in season one by far. Gets off of killing somebody. And it lights Jimmy McNulty, who's the quintessential asshole, nothing's going right in his life but his job type character. It lights a fire in his, his ass. And he makes some noise and now... And just like any cop, right? They're, they're not used to losing. They want to have the upper hand. Nobody's smarter than them. Nobody's smarter than McNulty. And so, you know, he just takes it a little personally. So he, you know, starts running his mouth to a judge. Judge have power. And boom, before you know it, everybody's um, all up in this Barksdale organization and, and trying to figure out who the hell this Avon Barksdale is, a.k.a. Wood Harris. From above the rim and ace from um, paid in full. But the thing I thought was interesting, you just mentioned the judge. And I thought that it was always... And it didn't play out, at least in season one. It always seemed like he had an agenda, but it never played out to what his agenda really was. But you're not done watching. Yeah, yeah I mean, but with season one, it doesn't play out, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, as we talk to season one, like, he's just, he's always in the right place. And he's always the confident for McNulty, right? So, like, McNulty, even though the first time that wasn't his, he truly didn't have that intention. He just was venting. And the judge used it to his advantage or whatever. But again, you're talking about cops. You're talking about judges. You're talking about law enforcement. These are groups of people who are used to having the power, who are used to having the upper hand. So to see someone, especially someone they probably deem as less worthy, drug dealers, gangbangers, whatever you want to call them, have the upper hand and outsmart them probably rubs them the wrong way. It does. It it, it gets a hole in their crawl. And is that a saying, a hole in your crawl? Yeah, it is. I'm about to Google that. That sounds real country. You got a hole in your crawl? And so it, it, it starts down this path, right? So we meet McNulty. We meet this quote-unquote ragtag team of misfits who were put together, right? And so, like, let's let's just go on and hit the team right quick. So <laughs> Hit the team? You are full of Hit the team. team. Hit oh, the team. Okay. So we got McNulty. If we were using the sports analogy, McNulty would be... Who will McNulty be? Now you know I'm listening to a podcast, and they have called. They have said Jamil Hill has called McNulty somebody. Now I'm not into sports as much as you are. If you want to know who she considers him, I will tell you. Yeah, tell me who she considers him. She considers him the Russell Westbrook. I can see that. I wouldn't necessarily go that far with it. But why did she say he was Russell Westbrook? Um, well, they went back and forth on would he be the LeBron, um, and basically how he's the one to get the whole to come with all the the fire and smoke and get everyone riled up and um you know but is is a big personality he's not going to lay in the cut <clears throat> he's going to make things happen that's aggressive like, that's a that's a really good analogy like he's not a kevin durant he's not a Kawhi. he's not a like a, he's not a, my boy steph curry shout out if you're listening <laughs> <laughs> but even more so than that right so the thing about McNulty is he's, he's the loud, brash that guy, but he's throwing himself into his work. Mm-hmm. Side note, he doesn't have shit else going on. He lives like a fucking 12-year-old. Mm-hmm. Well, he had a wife. 
he has kids, you know, but again, the job, he's one of those people, right? I guess if I was a, a police officer and I had, you know, ran some stuff, I was a sergeant or whatever those terms are, I'd want a cop like that. Somebody who freaking eats and breathes the job, right? Well, I mean, that's what the big guy who looked like Norm for Cheers said, right? That like, fat fuck that's always eating. Yeah, like, he always like, you're an asshole, nobody likes you, but you're a damn good cop. Yeah. And even Ross, who's probably one of the biggest dicks I've seen in TV history. Like, he used some curse words, combinations I only could dream of coming up with. <laughs> Even he admits McNulty's a good cop. So, like, and it's funny because he hates McNulty guts. And we'll talk more about that as that develops mm-hmm. in later series. But, ladies and seasons, excuse me. But, McNulty, he's Wilson Westbrook. He's probably one of them people you, and from the standpoint, I'm sure a lot of Wilson Westbrook's teammates hate his guts. But you have to respect that he come, he shows up every day and he gives it his all. Mm-hmm. So, McNulty fits right into that category. So, next is Kima. Kima's just a solid, she's like Trevor Ariza. She's a solid player. Trevor Ariza, Derek um, Fisher, Wishak and Kobe. We were talking, we just saw Last Dance, like Horace Grant. Kind of a solid player. You know you're going to get something good from them. They're not going to fuck up, right? And they can win you the game sometimes. Mm-hmm. So, Kima, Blake. And she has a lot of integrity. She, the difference between her and McNulty is McNulty will do anything, right? So, we see where he will bring a crackhead to his family's soccer game, right? He'll he'll put his kids in danger. He'll risk everything for the job. Kima isn't going to do all that. Kima is going to... She's more straight-laced, and she knows the lines and doesn't blur them, but she has a high level of integrity. McNulty would do anything, right? He he ain't got to see what happened. He's going to say he's solid if that means you go to jail. He He's going to do whatever it takes to close the case and get who he thinks is the bad guy behind bars. Yeah, and so Kim is just, Kim is somebody solid. You can put her in the game anytime, and she's just going to be, you ain't got to worry about her. She's just a solid player. Then we have, let's go on and get to Lieutenant Daniels. We got Lieutenant Daniels. Because mm-hmm. in him a really good coach. Like, I think he's the coach of this team, right? He sits back and he moves the pieces together. And I wouldn't say he's Phil Jackson. Like, you would never consider him him the greatest coach of all time type person. But he's like a Larry Brown. Larry Brown is the only coach to have won an NCAA championship and an NBA championship. And he's done more with less. He's always been credited as the coach who's always made the most out of the least. Yeah, and so... But I would agree with that, though. But the thing about Larry Brown is he's always had his eye on the Knicks job. And that's just, you, you haven't finished watching The Wire, but I will, Daniels fits into that. He is what you want in a boss. He has your back. Um, he took a band of misfits, right? So what happened was McNulty went to the judge, said you just got beat in court. There's this big drug dealer. His name's Avon Barksdale. Him and his organization are out here dropping bodies. They're moving tons of coke and heroin in the towers. You know, we just got played like a fool. And, of course, the judge is like, what the F? He starts calling around people. McNulty does not do anything with the chain chain of command. He completely ignores it. Now he has his supervisors getting calls from their supervisors, which nobody wants. Nobody wants to call from their boss talking about what the fuck based off of what you just told them. So he does all of that. Now they need to know who the hell this Avon Barksdale is. And they put together a squad. And it's a squad of misfits. He sends them losers for the most part. They send them Lester, 
who's been in the freaking pawn shop unit. No one knows that he's real police. They send him Prez Belusky. Let's let's put a pin in Lester. Cause I want to. He's we're gonna we want. Let's put a pin in Lester. But as That's we're just des- as we're describing this misfit team, we can talk about Kemal. We could talk about Lieutenant Daniels. And the reason I say that he's Larry Brown is one he took. He made the Scrubs. most. Out. He took squirrels and made the champion. But also, he, at the beginning, as his character evolved in season one, he was always looking for another job. Like he was that company guy, saying yes to get ahead. And like, even as it plays out, like a lot of this is take this so you can get to the next point. Like I forget the guy name who um become the guy who's the deputy at the point. Um, I forget his name. The <laughs> black guy who the one he Burrell, the one who screws him over ultimately. Mm-hmm. He always dangles this character from him, like, "Hey, you can get, you can get this, you can get that." Play the game. You can, he plays the game, and like, make no to even criticizes Daniels about that. Like, that's part of how their yeah. relationship. Like, you're always looking for your, looking out for yourself in the next job, and I think that that's why he's Larry Brown. Because no matter how good it is, if you dangle something in front of him, he may think it's better, even though it may not be better. Well, so many of us are like that. I'm like that, right? I mean, most people should be like that. You shouldn't try to be in the same shit you're in year after year you're supposed to want progress and you're so advancement but i think in that wanting progress i think there's a right and the wrong way to do stuff and larry brown was always noted for kind of he did it kind of sloppy like just just to get there yeah just to well just if you call him today about hey i'll give you a job tomorrow the middle of the season hey i found a better job bye and i think that that's daniel's exuded kind of some of those from mcnulty's standpoint at least at the beginning Daniels exuded those same concepts. Now, what turned him was when he went to Rawls, and basically when Daniels went to war for when they were talking about closing the detail, and Daniels was like, "Hey, we're we're starting to make real progress." When he stood up for the detail, I think that that's when McNulty started to gain, and you know, the respect. people respect from him. And so, you know, that, let's put a bone, Daniels, right there. So, I think that he's Larry Brown. I think that he's somebody who you can sit back and respect, but you may not always appreciate the, what the way he looks for the next opportunity. Mm-hmm. Now we got Prez Belusky. Let's go. Let's because he's a Prez Belusky is a character is a sports person who's you're trying to shoe him into a shoehorn him into a certain position. You're trying to make him something he isn't. Like not too many people gonna know this person, but Calvin Ridley for the Falcons. They want to make Calvin Ridley a Julio Jones. Mm-hmm. type receiver but he's not julio jones he's good but he's not julio jones now what the falcons and he's a Fa- atlanta falcon receiver what the falcons succeed with him is when they put him in the slot he's the third receiver he can be any third cornerback in the league that's where he gets all his touchdowns from mm-hmm. Prince beluski is like that he's masquerading as a cop but he really needs to be behind the desk and behind the computer and fortunately they get to the point where he can use his talents or mm-hmm. and but for that point, he's a very important character, but he's somebody who you would really think is vanilla ice cream. Just sitting there, because you don't... If you're not in the... I like vanilla ice cream. Agree. No problem with that. <laughs> if you're not in the building with him, you don't see his value. Mm-hmm. Let's put it like that. But I think we got very much into details of who people are, right? So the premise of season one is that you have cops and you have robbers. You have cops and you have drug dealers is basically the premise of the season, right? And the cops are trying to figure out how to bust open the drug dealers. But the drug dealers are pretty damn sophisticated to be your inner city Baltimore, uh, you know, slinging crack and slinging heroin people. It's not as easy as they're used to. So there's a lot of 
Uh, it's called The Wire because they end up doing a, a wire tap to listen to the calls. But the organization, Avon and his crew, are smart enough to know most of them not to talk on the phone. But the whole season is how do we catch these bad guys? And as I will always say, the best part of The Wire is giving you a 360 look at everyone and society and institutions and the humanity of it all and how we're all the same and everyone's in, interconnected. There are no good guys. There are no bad guys. People make good decisions. People make bad decisions. And you will see the same things that happen with the drug dealers happen with the cops. And you'll see that in even later episodes. I know you're not there yet, but you're just going to see so many parts of society and how we're all the same um, at the end of it. So I, that's what I appreciate just overall about The Wire. Okay. So I think the reason we're talking about these characters, because I think as you talk about the characters, it gives you, you, you can walk through the season talking about the characters, essentially. So, But I think to give them their, the, the season does start off with McNulty, but this season is about Avon. It gets to Avon. And one of my gripes, one of my things, what I told you, you didn't really see Avon until what? See episode four yeah, or you five. you asking like, where's Wood Harris? Where's Wood Harris? And so, like, I do think that part of that... That's called build-up. Suspense. It was. You just want to jump all up in it. That's a, I, See, you got to just slow roll it. You know, no, no, no. anticipation. Yeah, agree. But Take pa- a woman out on a date. Show her a good time. Cuddle. You know? Whisper sweet nothings. <laughs> you just want to jump right in it. Yeah, but part of that was, okay, we've gotten past this point. At least show him. Because, again, to my fault, I was expecting Nino Brown. A character bigger than life or whatever. But when you have an ensemble cast like this, you don't need that per se. Everybody has their own. You don't need one cat person bringing 90% of the energy to the product. Yeah. But ensemble cast, everybody, everybody can bring 5, 10% or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that as we kind of, you said cops and robbers, and that's a good way of talking about this. You have good guys, you have bad guys. Or cops, you know, drug dealers versus Or what's supposed to be good guys and bad guys. But like I said, there are no good guys, there are no bad guys. Exactly. So, like, as we keep talking about the list of good guys, then we're going to switch to bad guys, and we can kind of make this role like this. But don't fall into that societal trap. Those cops are not the good guys. Avon is not the bad guy. Yeah, yeah, but, and we're going to get to that. But I think that right now, the cops that we've talked about, I think out of all those, I think that the people we talked about, Presby, Luz, Kip, Minolte, Kima, and Daniels. I think Kima is the only quote-unquote good guy. What about Hurt and Carver? Tweedledee and Tweedledum. The muscle. I think they are, so I think they are good guys. I think they're soldiers, right? So, like, you just point them and tell them to go shoot. Like, and not literally, but you know what I mean. Yeah, and everybody needs a soldier. To win a war, you have to have soldiers. You need, They are so key, <laughs> even though they're so, they're so key. You need foot soldiers. To win any type of war, right? And, like, they did serve a purpose. And, like, the, the stuff that they, like, Minolta needed to be on more important stuff, right? Kima couldn't really do it, even though she tried to be. Like, you needed that muscle, and they served that pers- per- purpose. I think that in totality, they were good guys, but I also think that they can just as well have been bad guys, right? Like, they had that scene that I thought they were going to develop where they took some of the money and, like. Where they lost it or where they took it? First time they lost it, yeah. right? And, like, that was just playing up on their characters, being mm-hmm. Beavis and Butthead of the, of the um, mm-hmm. detail. But remember in the set, when they wind up getting to the plug house, they took it. And so I thought they will, you know, and maybe they do go somewhere with it. But in season one, that wasn't developed at all. So up until so season one, they're good guys. But you could see how they could either move in direction A or direction B. Mm-hmm. And, and so far, season one is direction 
Hey. But again, talking about your good guys, you got cops that took a little something, something. Obviously, that's not good, right? There's no integrity in that. You got McNulty, who's drunk as I don't know what, pretty much every season, DUI in it, putting people's life at risk. That's not good. You got cheating on his wife with whatever, running out here, running the smuck. Like, these are not necessarily good actions, right? But these are our good people. And then meanwhile, when you go to the bad guys, you got people who, you know, trying to make a living for their family or someone who grew up in the game and is trying to do right let's, by their own. Let's say that because we're going to, again, now, let's say that part. Let's finish with the good guys because to your point. <laughs> you the, and these damn, stop calling them good guys. Well, let's finish with the cops because to okay. your point, they aren't presented as perfect. They're presented as working for the community, but they have their flaws, right? Mm-hmm. And so we talked about, you know, pretty much everybody except for Lester. I think Lester's the last one. I mean, you have a couple of others, like Signor the black guy, when he dressed like a crackhead. Oh, yeah, but he isn't. He doesn't really contribute. He's just like... Damn. No, no, no shade. He's just like a foot... He's just like gunfighter, right? Like, he's just... Well, he's an in-between between Herc and Carver and Kima. He's like that role in-between. Still solid, still needed, but it's not as effed up and stupid as the others. Then you have... Don't, don't forget the other scrubs he was sent. You got my man that was snitching... Uh, on McNulty and was just going back and telling Rawls everything. And then you got the two drunk motherfuckers <laughs> who don't want to do anything but get drunk. And the one dude gets effed up by uh, Bodie. My boy Bodie. And it's funny because those two, if they have 10 minutes of screen time in the whole first season, I'd be surprised combined. Mm-hmm. But it's just, they brought what you needed, right? They It hit the nail on the head what type of detail, what type of crew Daniels got with them, right? So like and again, these good guys, I'm not going to call them good guys, cops. Quote, unquote, good guys. The ones you want to keep calling good guys, these motherfuckers are just showing up to work, want to know about overtime, want to basically exploit the system and make money off the taxpayers and come into work drunk. And This is the actions of our good guy team. And th- and so I think the flip side of it, and they made this comment, even the guy you were talking about is just throwing the crime on somebody just to move on, right? Like, just to get paid and go to the next thing, Yeah, right? there's so many of this where, hey, what about overtime? Hey, what about this? Like, and again... They cut corners wherever they could. And regardless of what and you think... And lazy! And what, regardless of what you think about, everybody else on the team, personally, as a team, they didn't cut corners. Like, individual. Kima doesn't cut corners. McNulty doesn't cut corners. Daniels doesn't cut corners. Presbyluski doesn't cut corners. Now, they may have all their flaws outside of work or whatever, or even in specific parts of work, but the things they're good at, they don't cut corners, and they're really good at it. Whatever. I don't know if I would agree with that, because McNulty cuts a shit ton of corners if he thinks they're the corners that should be cut. That's the difference. <laughs> now, Kima, she's a, a, a rule Daniels follower. is straight. And straight. Daniels is a rule follower, too. And they I think Presbyluski is, too. And they came from the same unit. I don't, I, I'd be Season on one, Prince Bluesky. I'd be on the fence with it, but McNulty, sure as fuck, he's gonna cut a corner if he thinks that corner shouldn't be there. If he don't like that corner, he's cutting it. Touche. That's a good point. So I that rounds out pretty much the cops, except for my second favorite character, of season one, Lester Freeman. Good old Lester Freeman. Sound like a pervert. That's my guy. No, I'm just saying Lester, Lester, child molester. <laughs> what were your thoughts originally? As what were your thoughts originally when you saw Lester? Like when you first seen him in the show? I mean, the, it, the show just steps him up to be a quiet, probably doesn't add much value type guy. He's sitting there sandpaper and and making like miniature furniture. Like who is this guy? And like you said, they just everybody just thought he was in pun and he wasn't really 
Again, this is a detail everybody pretty much ain't worth a shit except for the people Daniels brought with him, right? So this is just another motherfucker not worth a shit who mm-hmm. is on my detail or whatever. And it's interesting too because it's all, this goes back to the point you never know or don't underestimate somebody, right? Like in real life, like it could yeah, just because one person you know, however you met them, you thought one thing, you don't know where they've been from or their capabilities or what they have, and then he. They didn't even know what Avon looked like. They had no idea what he looked like. He had no record. He had no driver's license. He had nothing officially on the books. And so this guy is supposed to be the biggest kingpin of Baltimore, at least West Baltimore. And they have no idea what he looks like until Lester. Until Lester hears that he used to be a a boxer and he has ties in the community and goes down and gets a picture of him. They didn't even know who he was. And another good piece of detective work. They didn't even know how they, they didn't even know how to get to the wire or what number to use until Lester saw the number so written on the wall, written at, the on the wall at the stash house. So a lot of this stuff, you know, at least decent police people, right? So maybe flawed individuals, but decent. We'll say they, the the Daniels, the Kimas, the Magnolia of the world, or decent police, right? Like everybody say they decent police, they decent in their job. They would hit a wall and, without Lester or Lester's character. They no, it's a totally different show. There is no wire. Exactly. There, there is, I mean, Avon lives, you know, goes on to live a beautiful life, <laughs> continuing to rack up stacks. Uh, everyone's cool. And L- Lester is Tracy McGrady. Tracy McGrady spent the first part of his season on the bench behind Vince Carter, backing up Vince Carter until he finally got some chance to shine. And people like, oh, he can do this. And mm-hmm. Orlando like, well, we want him down here. And he turned into the Tracy McGrady everybody knew. Mm-hmm. So, like, Lester is that person who, like, you just send back and you – don't think nothing of him until he shows you a little bit. And you're like, just like Minority, I want to take him out for a drink to see, like, how did he how did he get this situation? Then he tells you, he impresses you a little bit. Then he tells you his situation. And now you're seeing him with your mind blown, like, whoa, mm-hmm. this dude is the real deal. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So that sums up kind of the cops. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. Let's get to the drug dealers. Mm-hmm. Who do you want to start with? So we have, well, let's start with Avon, right? Let's work away from the top down. So you have Avon, who's the whole, the, the leader of this cruise, the Barksdale organization, as they like to say. Avon is someone who comes from a long lineage of drug dealers in the West Baltimore trade. His dad was a drug dealer. His uncle was a drug dealer. His grandfather was a drug dealer. Hold up. But I don't think they play on that on season one. You see it a little bit. You see it when he goes to see his uncle, when he talks about family with D'Angelo. And you'll see it in later life. He is a, a product of a drug dealing lineage. I think that comes in at the end of season one with his sister. Yeah. That's when it kind of brings it. But Because before then, you just, like like you said, the scene where he goes see his uncle, when he always talking to D'Angelo, who we're going to get to soon. Like, you get kind of like, it's a family business, but you don't know how deep the family business is. Until his sister comes along. To me, that's when you... That's yeah, when it, it's still season one, though. You realize that he is a a product of a long lineage. Again, if we talked about uh, shoemakers, you know, and how your great-great-dad was a shoemaker, then your dad was a shoemaker. Everybody's a shoemaker. That's the family he comes from. It's just drug dealing was their game. Yeah. So, I think that... The thing I complained about was something brilliant about Avon. Like, just like the police never saw him, the show never showed you Avon. Or like, he, he don't have that many scenes until the end, until everything starts getting untangled. Mm-hmm. Avon don't have that many scenes. Not the yep. he, so I think that that was brilliant of them to keep him, just like the police are kind of who is Avon Barstale, the viewer is kind of who is Avon Barstale, too. 
And the, the thing about being the leader of this organization, and one of the crazy things that you start to realize is that they have a whole code, a whole rule book, a whole this is how we're going to do things, which is pretty damn sophisticated for these to be the drug dealers, which, again, if the cops are the good guys and the smart guys, the drug dealers are supposed to be the idiot lowlifes. And they are so sophisticated, they got rules. First first uh, episode, we base taking D'Angelo. D'Angelo's talking a lot of shit in the car. Yo, how'd I get off? What'd y'all do to that witness? We Bay pulls over and is like, what's the rule? Don't talk in the car. What's the rule? Like, you should know this. We have rules for this. We don't talk in cars. We don't t- talk in on the phones. You see that in season one, too, where he's like, nah, we ain't gonna have a phone. We don't do that. It's sophisticated. So I think that it's incredibly simple, but incredibly effective. Like, they aren't, they aren't using, like, at least in season one, they do use some codes, and we'll get to that. But, like, I think Lester said it too. These aren't people who graduate, like the hoppers are. And let's, we need to talk about Yeah, most of these people, I mean, most of the people in here definitely didn't graduate high school, probably dropped out somewhere in the middle school timeline. Yeah, so like the codes they're keeping have to be simple yet effective. And they are. I mean, you see the whole show's called A Wire because they get up on a wiretap based off of pagers. And you see the whole system of not only codes, the fact that. They don't put in the number. They skip the number and then they skip the zero so that it's just not a number you'll recognize. It takes a whole long time for Pres Belusky to figure out what this code is. And then even when you get the code, everyone has a special two-digit code on the end to know who it is. Is it Stringer? Is It's never Avon. Avon don't have a code because Avon don't don't text. Don't, I'm not text. Doesn't page. Doesn't do that. So the top leader doesn't even have one of those. But everybody else got their own unique code. And you... It's it's pretty sophisticated and pretty smart. Yeah, it is very it's incredibly smart. It's incredibly effective, and I think that one of my theories in life is that complex problems can be solved have simple solutions. They can be broken down to have simple solutions, mm-hmm. and I think that that's this is a a sim, sim, symbolic of what they did. They had a complex problem, right? How can we not get found? Mm-hmm. Here's a simple solution: pagers, so we can control who we call, right? So, like, in that time and what was going on in the world, cell phones started to take over. Just wiretaps were a thing that were coming at that point in general, right? But how can you tap a payphone? You don't know what payphone I'm going to use. So, we have more control over this, over that. But even once you see, they start getting pressure on them, right? Even all their rules are falling. We're not talking about shit. Hold on. You know, Strand comes down to the pit that one day and he's like, rip those payphones out. He even had the foresight and, the, you know, the, the knowledge to know something ain't right. Let's just let's clean up. And that's exactly what they were doing. They were listening to them on payphones and he shut that shit down. And so that's that's why I was so, so complete, so simple, yet elegant solution to the problem, because now we can still do business. We just don't need to do them at this payphone. So if you got to walk a mile down the street, you walk a walk mile, a mile down shit. and use the phone. And so I think that that was such a innovative solution a a creative elegant solution to a problem but back to avon i think that a lot of avon a lot of his greatness was the fact that he was so low-key but i do think a lot of his fault was that he was careless in some ways too and i think that his carelessness careless actually i don't think his carelessness led to his downfall it almost led to his death and we'll get to that but it definitely led to his downfall and I think that a lot of his carelessness in general is covered up by number two, your favorite person. 
Stringer Bell. Stringer, <laughs> Stringer Bell. Yes. Before anyone knew who Idris Elba was, before I knew who he was, he was Stringer Bell and he'll always carry that Stringer Bell. That's the, that's what ladies love about him. I think, and but I think that I can see why, right? Like he had a certain mystique about him in the show. So like Avon had a mystique, Stringer Bell had a mystique. But the difference is you saw Stringer Bell handle business. You really didn't see well, a. You saw a tall, handsome, confident, educated, Adri- average-looking guy. You like to say average. We're not even gonna go down that path. Um, and someone who was smart and carried himself a certain way. You saw him making moves like a boss. Like why would like in the beginning of season one? There's not many reasons you wouldn't like Stringer Bell. I don't think there are many reasons you would. I, I think his character developed over the season. Well, I'm just saying, you'll see throughout the thing. You see ladies love him, and the dudes want to be him. He's like the Tom Brady of freaking The Wire. I could agree with that. I w- I'll give him Tom Brady of The Wire. I, w- I would give him that because he moved. I w- the word I would use about him, and I would give you this, is he was suave. <laughs> suave. Like, I know he's supposed to play James Bond at some point or whatever. He carried himself like that in The Wire. Like, he always was, con- season one, he always presented himself as being in control of the situation, never too hot-headed. Whereas Avon, he would lose his cool a lot of times. Stringer Bell always seemed to be in control of himself and the situation. Mm-hmm. And he was the one who was actually doing the business. So, like like you said, him pulling out the phone blocks. That wasn't something Avon told him to do. That was just something he had the foresight to do himself. Mm-hmm. You know, just how he moved in general, dealing with the hoppers testing D'Angelo, doing this, doing that. Those are things that, hey, Bill Belichick gives Tom Brady the key. You just make it happen on the field. I trust you enough that you will make make the right decision on the field. And so far in season one, Idris Elba, Stringer Bell, always made the right decision on the field. I do think it was interesting about him that, you know, to your point about people assuming drug dealers are, are idiots and stupid, how McNulty followed him that time and wind up going him wind up being Followed him with uh yeah. Following him wasn't the time he had his kids follow him, but that's where he got the license plate to be able to tag him. Yeah, he was in community college. He was taking a macroeconomics class and when their product ended up, you know, not well, being that's, fit. That's season two. No. That, that's season two. Uh-uh. Mm-hmm. No, he was in the macroeconomics class asking the professor about supply and demand. That was season two, wasn't it? No, you're talking about where the name changed. Okay, okay, yo, yo. Yeah, yeah, so he was asking about supply and demand. How do you control some... A guy who's trying to take book knowledge and real-world business knowledge and apply it to the organization. And I'm sure they got to that point because of him using his book knowledge. So you can see how, like, if you imply some stuff, you can see how him and Avon Barksdale are kind of a winning combination where it's string is more of the... This is how we need to run. This is the book... This is the book part of it. And Avon, like, this is the street part of it. How you can blend those two together and get a really successful organization. So you really have a successful organization because you understand yin and yang works and balance works, right? You can't have two Avons. You can't have two Stringers. Or you set yourself up for competing interests. And that's kind of the storyline. The power is pretty much Avon and Stringer played out. Yeah. So it goes on to influence and... Uh, I really think power is based off of those two people. Agreed. And I think that season one, 
that's a winning combination, right? Like Avon can see the street. You can see Avon can see the street shit. String, Stringer Bell can't really see, but Stringer Bell can see how to move that Avon can't see. I think you had a really good point. I would love to see a prequel to The Wire to see, you know, how how it all comes together. You know what? Especially since a part of The Wire we haven't gotten there is a kid season that is in season four, but. What what their situations were like and how Stringers was different from Avon and how they got to where they are. Also, with people like my boy, who I will probably put next, would be Weebay. Weebay is number three in this organization. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you want to go first, second, third is Weebay. No Weebay is the muscle. Weebay is the enforcer. I like Weebay. Weebay. One, people like him because he got a cool name. Two, <laughs> I did not know he was the guy from... I did not know the, the mean beauty. guy was oh, the all snap memes. Yeah, I did not know he was in the wire. Like I when I first seen him when I told you. Mm-hmm. I'm like that's, that's the, the mean guy. Yeah, I'm like that's the mean guy. Weebe is one of my favorite characters in the show. Mine too. And what's very interesting is that the show does not paint him none of his actions on paper should lead you to be a fan of him. His whole purpose is to, to fuck kill people up. To kill people. Like <laughs> point blank period. He is the one that kills people. In what world is that? He's not a Frank Castle. He's not out here like with some, you know, altruistic that we need to rid the world of. Whatever. He doesn't have a moral compass. His job no. is just to get rid of motherfuckers so yeah. we can keep making our money. Exactly. And on paper, you're not supposed to like that. Everybody I know who watches the show, like I've talked to several people outside of you about the show. What? <laughs> Everybody likes his name is one of the names that I always come up right. Okay. And I like Weebay. Like, he's definitely a top five, top, probably top four favorite, top five definitely favorite character of mine. Like, we'll have to, okay, let's, let's hurry up and go through these people so we can find out who your top five people are. Okay, so definitely Weebay. I mean, he, they provide some level of complexity to him down the line. But right now, Weebay. Right, so after him would be Stinkum. I really don't have a, th- I really don't have an opinion on Stinkum, more so like, I don't have an opinion on yeah. him. So he's like a difference between Stinkum and Weebay. Stinkum also is muscle, but Stinkum also uh, moves, moves. So he products. So he's in a way like a crossbreed between the two. Unfortunately, he ends up dying in season one. So it's not like his character is really drawn out. So him and Bird, I would say, are in a similar situation. Again, being the muscle. Um, Bird's character is hilarious. My boy, um, Fredro Star. Star. I, I freaking love him. Sunset Park. <laughs> well, I think you love him more from like what he, his yes. body work than like yeah, in the wild. show. But yeah. he's funny in the show. Like when he gets arrested, he he talks mad shit, and he also killed that dude with a three eighty. A three eighty is my gun of choice, so I, <laughs> I like that. But I do think the thing about Fredro Star is that, and every time he's played. A similar character. character in different movies. I mean, Wood Harris as well, right? We talked about. I mean, like these are definitely typecasted people. It's not like Wood Harris wasn't getting the call. What was my man's name? And um, Antoine Fisher, he ain't getting that call. Like, oh, he couldn't be Chad with Bozeman and Black Panther. Yeah, he ain't Chadwick. He he not gonna play Jackie Robinson. <laughs> like, but he gonna do the hell out that that urban city. <laughs> Yo, and so same thing with Fredro Star, right? So like he. One of the things you like about him, and even he does this even at Onyx, the album, Back the Fuck Up. I remember having this as like a little 12 or 13-year-old kid. Your mama must not have known. No, my parents knew. I, I you had, had an album called Back the Fuck Up? That was the name of the album. And your mom was okay with that? It was all one word, so she couldn't, she couldn't figure it out. But anyway, <laughs> Don't underestimate your mom. But they, my dad and my mom, they couldn't figure it out. <laughs> but all that to say was that Fred Joe Starr, 
he can go in. One of the things he's unique for is he can go into this ultra mad character, and he has to look with the bald head and kind of the the voice, and like he can grin, gr- scrawl his face up a little bit. Like he gets into that point, right? So, like you know, we're gonna get to kind of outs- outside of cops and robber character, good guy cops and drug dealers characters and you know he has an interaction with probably my second favorite character yeah so there's there's another there's a other category yeah, that gonna, actually has both of our favorite characters in it yeah so we're gonna get to that and so but all that to say what he's typecast for he does a really good job of in the wire even though he's he doesn't make it past season so i would one. say the next the one down would be your your boy your favorite would be the angelo barksdale the nephew or cousin i'm pretty the sure nephew, the nephew or F- uh, yeah. uh, I can write a dissertation on D'Angelo Barstow. Damn. <laughs> He's my favorite character by far. And I, it's amazing. I, and I told you this. He reminds me of me if I was in that situation. If I grew up, if I was born into a family of dope and my uncle was the man, I would be making the same mistakes he made. Sympathetic to some, sympathetic to people trying to do better. Flick, trying to look dressed, materialism, hoes. Like, holes in materialism would be my downfall. Plus, me being a good guy would be my downfall. So, it's a toxic combination of being a good person, but liking bad things. And, on top of that, this is a 21, 22-year-old motherfucker, right? So, like, the fact that he, even though he is mature, he's still young, right? So, like, the things that get us at that age don't get us when we're older. So, like, a 21, 22-year-old Darren would be falling for holes, clothes, and... But I would see somebody trying to do better. And in a game where I don't need to be showing love, I'll be showing love. Like one of my... Go ahead. I was going to say, I used to... When I first saw The Wire, my first couple of times, I did not like D'Angelo. But now that I have matured and softened, I do. I I see the good in him and the conflict in him. And he does this. I mean, season one, a lot of ways, revolves around him. I mean, it starts with him getting off. It, it, It progresses through all of his ups and downs. And it... He's the main character, and he's he is, the McNulty and him are the main characters of the show. Yeah, and he's he's conflicted. He was born into a again, you know, a drug dealing family, so he follows the footsteps. He works under Avon several several moves below him. He was doing well in the beginning of the show, running one of the towers, which is the prime real estate for the drug game. He f's up and shoots someone, and as a result, is demoted to the pit. And you see him trying to school the new generation and trying to. Look after some of the young boys. And one of my favorite scenes is him explaining chess. And that chess explanation to the the kids that were actually playing with a chess set but playing checkers and trying to explain to them how chess moves was him trying to explain the world. Um, And little did they know when he was explaining what a pawn is, is that he was explaining to them what what they are. are. I think that two things showed me D'Angelo. One, when he wrote that letter. He's an idiot. <laughs> like, that was so funny when he wrote that letter where basically the show starts out, the whole premise of all this is that William Gant gets killed. I mean, yeah, William Gant gets killed. And they're talking and D'Angelo gets off. And oh well, some D'Angelo kills somebody. Our witness is William Gant and he gets off and he gets killed. And so they're talking to D'Angelo about how a working like they understand him killing some like somebody Someone in the game. In the game. Yeah, but a working man, a, a deacon, a deacon at his church, a father three kids. three kids, you know, all bullshit the cops just lied to get him to confess and convince him to write an apology letter <laughs> to the Gant family. And this motherfucker really starts writing. <laughs> And it was funny when Wood Harris, 
when Avon heard that. Like, you could just see the look on his face. What the fuck <laughs> are you writing a letter for? I don't want to hear about you writing no damn letters. Like, come on. And then, I mean, that was funny, but that showed his character. But the second thing was Wallace, when we were going to get to the hoppers. Like you said, Wallace, I was. Re- Wallace is not a hopper. Whatever he is, a lookout, whatever he is. He's a member of the organization. He's not a hopper. What are hoppers? The hoppers are the little people who just run and, and do things. He's one step above them. A hopper is younger than him. Okay. So. I got to explain the drug game to you. So I see. It's all good. I see. But um, I think that that conversation with Wallace, one with Wallace and with Avon and Stringer, when he basically took up for Wallace and was like, look, he's out the game. Well, that's because D'Angelo recognized the same um, compassion and the same not heart for the game, right? D'Angelo's not built for the drug game. He just happened to be born into a family that that was his circumstance, and that's where he is. But that's not where he would have been. If he would have been born into a different situation, it would have been a different scenario. And Wallace is the same way. Uh, what Bodie says to him, um, your heart, a Kool-Aid or some shit like that? Your yeah. heart pumps Kool-Aid? Like, he, Wallace is not built for that. You see him playing with a little toy. You see Bodie throw a bottle at him. Like, um... Wallace is very much a kid, and D'Angelo sees a lot of that in him. Yeah, and that's why he tries to look out for him. And we can talk about D'Angelo because he winds up. Avon winds up fucking up, and this costs D'Angelo his free freedom. And this is how because the cops actually, for once, got a leg up, and with the the help of the stripper girl with those crazy effed up glasses, who I can't stand. They get the little microphone video in the room, and they see that Avon is ordering uh, D'Angelo to drive to New York and pick up pick up dope, basically. And one of the things in that, which was actually a landmark scene, was like, I want to be like Wallace. All I want to do is be free like Wallace. When he basically said that you could see how he was like, I'll do anything to keep this young guy out of the game because he's not made for the game, and he can get out, get out. And I think that that was... I think that was his message to all of them, right? But he knew that Brody, Bodie ain't getting out. Poon ain't getting out. Like, if any of them wanted to get out, he would have been, I'll do what I can to get you out. Even the girl who got caught stealing, which he could have just turned her in and got her ass mm-hmm. hurt. He didn't because he, under, like, he just had a heart. In a heartless game, he had a heart. That's probably mm-hmm. the best way to say it. I would agree. And... Any more thoughts on D'Angelo before we get down to... Well, like I said, I just say that I did not appreciate him until I got older and started to... You know, I used to just think he was an idiot punk. Like, wasn't built for it. And now I understand... Well, his motivations, right? So, like, one of your things throughout this is, like, everybody's motivations, right? So, like, his motivations are, you know, conflicted with family, but it's still family, right? You know what I'm saying? And I say one of the things you and I talk about is I think you question whether Avon really believes in family, and I really strongly believe he does, and he thinks he's looking out for D'Angelo in all ways. Um, I think that we'll get to that season two. I think season two kind of solidifies that, but, like, if you're looking at it from where I was looking at it coming in, it seemed like like Avon is setting him up for something and not to be the next Avon. It seems like Avon is just like, uh, if I, I might push him off the ledge if I have to. Nah, I totally don't. Even in season one, I don't get that vibe. He's looking out for him, but also smart enough to realize that he's not built for the game. So like, he's he's going to let him be whatever he he grows to be. And if it, if he decides to embrace the game, then he's going to grow with him. If he he ain't leaving the game, I mean that's just point blank period. He doesn't have that option. But um, I agree. I can agree with that. I, I think he that. generally does love him and care for him, 
Um, I'm sure he wishes he was like Avon, though, right? Like it's it's just like any dad, right? If you grow up and you love basketball, that's his little you, brother. Yeah, even though it's his nephew, that's like his little brother. Right? You want your little brother to like basketball, like you, and you can't relate to the fact that he wants to draw and he's an artist. You don't know how to relate to that. You love him and you want to, but you don't know how to because you play basketball. Yeah, that's a good way of summing this up. So after D'Angelo, we can talk about the pit crew. So Bodie would would be next, right? Bodie's the the of the pit crew, which would be Bodie, Wallace, and and Poot. Pretty much uh, are the main three. You do have a couple of others, like the girl who gets caught stealing, but those are the main three. Bodie at the top of that list. I think that, and my first thought to you was, I like Bodie. He seems smart, and he's one of those people who just has a mind for the game. So he's not stringers levelless. He's actually probably what Avon would have been at that age, right? So, like... But, again, kids pay for their parents' mistakes and also reap the benefits of it. Avon is partly Avon because of the family he came from. He reaps the benefits in that If Bodie would have came from that family. So, it's it's debatable amongst the Wire fans about who Bodie is set up to be. Is he set up to be... It's never Avon. It's Is he set up to be a stringer or is he set up to actually be a wee bay? I think he's in between. And that's why I say Avon. Like the reason I say Avon is he he would never be big time, but he'd be smart and he'd be quote unquote hard enough to do the shit to see that how the streets need to handle shit, right? But he's smart enough that he f- understands the game. Yeah, and he's not like Wallace. Like he 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 genuinely wants to be in the game. He understands the game. He wants to be in it. He may not fully understand. And I will say that Bodie is an integral uh, character, and he becomes more integral. As the seasons progress. Well, you can see that, right? Because, like, he kills Wallace. Him and Pooh kill Wallace. And part of that was that, hey, when Stringer Bell came to him, basically, Bodie looked at Stringer Bell like God, for lack of a better mm-hmm. term. Like, Stringer Bell said, can you kill him? Bodie would have wanted, I got my gun. And, you, I mean, and as much and, as... And that's why they talk about him potentially being the wee bay of it. The no questions asked, you tell me I got to do it, I'm doing it. But I counter that because when it came time to do yeah. it, he couldn't do it. Yeah. Like, Poot, he did it, but Poot did it, right? You know what I'm saying? So, I think that the reason I disagree with both of those, because, again, he couldn't, like, Weebay seemed like the kind, and I don't know. Well, who knows? Who knows what Weebay was doing at 15, if he was struggling with that first kill, if it was his friend or not. Yeah, so, like, he just don't come across, he come across verbally as Weebay, but when it was time to do the D, he didn't come across as So, Weebae. one of the things that, uh, insights that I have from just knowing a little bit more about this. The Wire is based off, and I told you this, um, it's written by someone who was actually a police det- detective in Baltimore and became a uh, teacher later on, and then someone that works in the um, the newspaper industry. So people have very first-hand knowledge of this. And they disagreed on how that scene was going to go. Um, one of them, and I don't remember which one. You're talking about the scene where he killed Wild. Yeah. Okay. They, he thought in his mind that they were building up Bodie to be a sociopath and someone who would not have flinched at killing anyone for any reason. The other one thought that it was a little bit more, Bodie's character was a little bit more multidimensional. And although he talked a good game, he wasn't quite there yet. And they ended up going the second route, but there was disagreement on what, who is Bodie and what is his character. And so that's why I was landing it was like, he's definitely not Springer Bear. He doesn't move with the suaveness and the, I was Springer Bell's move. But he wants to be in the game. I think he is kind of that hybrid of Avon, Springer, and Weebay. I think he is some of those three. Like, I'm not saying 33. I mean, the person that's 
below that in a way is a little bit of a stinkum. So maybe he would, you know, if we would see more of stinkum potentially, but we will see more of Bodie. Bodie reminds me a lot of my brother. Um, so I have a, I have a, a sweet spot for Bodie. Okay. Brodus Preston is his real name, which we learn. Um, when they serve that word in his grandmom's house. And you see you see Bodie get effed up by the police several times, right? Like he you that's one of the things about this too. You don't consider it, but the police F him up. I would say this. If there was a second main character on the drug dealer side, it's Brody. Bodie. 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 Not R in it. Bodie. Bodie's the second main character behind Angelo. Mm-hmm. So we talked about Wallace several times. It's time to get the Wallace in. Michael B. Jordan. He's one of the Young, pit crew. Yeah, this is the first time I ever saw Michael B. Jordan. I think that he's a lovable character, right? For sure. Like, he's in the pit. He's innocent. He's innocent. He's just there because he has to be there, right? Like, he's he said, my mom drinking, I hardly see her. Like, his mom is still alive. Yeah. Didn't give a fuck about him. I haven't seen his grandma since he was nine or whatever. And he tried to go to his grandma's, right? He went down to the Eastern Shore, and the Eastern Shore ain't shit in the Eastern Shore. He never heard crickets. He's hearing that for the first time. He missed Baltimore. He came home. Uh, and again, your boy D'Angelo tried to warn him. And without saying... You he, come back, they're going to kill you. Yeah, without saying it point blank, he told him, like... He gave him all the warning. And that's another thing that I like. How many times in life has someone told you... What they needed to tell you, but you couldn't hear it because yeah. you were you weren't ready to listen to what they were saying, or you didn't know. Yeah. So I think that you know we fast forward through a lot of stuff. Wallace still is a child at heart, and even though he was part of pit crew, he was the one who saw some grown man shit. Like we made him disfigure another character, and the others we're going to talk about later. Yeah. So he, I mean, he saw. Basically, the, he's the reason Brandon got killed. We're gonna talk yeah, about who so Brandon. Their, their stash house got robbed, and he saw who did it. And he happened to be at the local, you know, not corner store, but like little, you know, Philly cheesesteak place, uh, getting a crab cake maybe, um, and saw the boy. And so he, you know, he called D'Angelo. D'Angelo called Stringer. Stringer called his people. Before you know, that dude's dead. Uh, body laid out behind his pa- house. Gruesomely killed. Gruesomely killed. Eyeball poked out, burnt, you know, all sorts of things. And for a young kid who's not built for that already, I mean, it messed with him. He he saw it as he caused his death. Even though he didn't pull the trigger or burn him or gouge his eyes out, it's because of him that this dude's no longer breathing. And that's really heavy for a grown person, let alone a little kid. And somebody who doesn't have a heart for the game, right? Yeah. So, I think that Michael B. Jordan Carrot Wallace was the heart of the wife. So, like... It's like, when you talk about good, he was the... He's a good. He's, the, he's innocent. He's innocent. Yeah. And you see what happens to innocent. Yeah. Especially when innocent tries to be in a world they probably shouldn't be in. Oh, man. On this, he gets thrown into a kids pay for their parents' mistakes, right? Mm-hmm. So because of that, he's in the world. That's all he knows, right? That's all around him. Mm-hmm. And so he just, he was thrown into a world he just wasn't supposed to be in. Yeah. And that's probably the best way to sum him up. And last in the pit crew, we got Poop. He's just a, uh, uh, probably reminds me of what I think you would have been at that age, which is just a hornball. No, I would have I'm telling you, D'Angelo is who I would have been. But Pooh is just a hornball. All he does, he has phone sex on a freaking 
payphone talking about I'm going to do things to your three holes and make you look like a glazed donut. Like, this dude. <laughs> I see you remember that part. Yeah. <laughs> I do. <laughs> uh, so Pooh wasn't that interested in the character. He just every crew got yeah. a, a, a womanizer. But right? he, he he provides some comic relief. He does, but I was more surprised that he the way he, when they killed Wallace, how he went. Yes. Like I when it was time too. to be gangster, Pooh was gangster. Whereas yeah, brother, you can argue that either it was either gangster or it was him trying to get something over with that was really hard. That's probably the better way. So like when you hit a deer and then you kill it. Yeah. So that's the better way of looking at it because, like, as we talk about these three, we're caught on the pit crew. Pooh and Michael B. Jordan and Wallace actually lived together. Lived together, yeah. So they, and, they were, and Pooh was the one that gave, gave them the money, money to, to come, come back. back. Up. Yeah, so, like, they were really cool, cool. Like, Brody, like, if you want to look at a click, they were a minute click inside of the big click or whatever, right? Bigger click. So, like. Yeah, just like D'Angelo, like, they're supposed to be a little click. The Stinkums. Yeah. D'Angelo is the in-between between the, the big dogs and the little dogs. Yeah. And it's just interesting that that was the most interesting thing about Pooh in season one was that he did that with so and regardless of his motivations. Like, I would have okay. never thought he did that. So, that wraps up the drug dealer side of it. So, now let's get to prop the others. Yeah, and there, there's, there's two main others. You got your favorite guy and my favorite guy. You go with your favorite guy. My favorite guy is Bubbles. So he is your neighborhood, gonna call him a crack addict, but he's not on crack. He's actually yeah, on heroin. heroin. Um, but how can you not love Bubbles, right? Like, just like anybody else, he, he has a problem. It's heroin. He can't stop getting high. But think about all the redeeming qualities of this dude. Him and his boy Johnny, his white boy, uh, they're always scheming, trying to get high. Uh, Johnny gets effed up. That's a big part uh, by Bodie and his crew because he's down in the pit trying to get high. The whole reason Bubbles becomes a snitch for the cops and really is the best snitch of all time. If you ever want a snitch, he's the one to get. He does an outstanding job. He's really smart. Well, he's, junkies, right? They know everything that's going on on the street. And like you yeah. said, nobody's assuming them. Like, but he can use his, his, he can harness his powers, right? Most junkies are just too all over the place. Like he actually has these moments of like, Super, he's a super junkie. Like, I love Bubbles. And he's kind, he's compassionate. and you His heart's in the right place, he just has a fatal flaw. Yeah, and his fatal flaw is drugs. Um, and I love that guy. Like, he, he cracks me up. He, him and Johnny and the, their little schemes to get things done. Um, Johnny's a little weird to me. Um, partly because, you remember the movie Kids? Yeah, I've I seen something about that. Like, he, him and Rosario Dawson was in it or something like that. you never seen the movie Kids? Uh-uh. Oh, my gosh. Any, like, some sexual deviant movie or something I'm like that? I'm surprised you've never seen it, but it's probably good for you because I I know you remember, I, I know how you told me about, like, how HIV was scary as a kid and you watched on TV about the dude named Darren. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the Kids movie would have scared the shit out of you. Uh, but he's the main character in Kids, this dude, Telly. Anywho, I digress. That's a big movie. I'm surprised you haven't seen that. When we talk about revoking these cards, it's not it's not a black movie, but it's just like who hasn't seen Kids? It was huge back in the day. Give a quick synopsis. What it's about? It's about crazy young adolescents and the shit they get into, mostly about sex, and it has to deal with HIV. Okay. But it's one of those crazy movies where like you, every kid wants to watch it because it's like. Like you said, sexual deviance. Like you're like, oh, this is crazy movie, but parents kind of want you to watch it because they know that it's like a scare you straight type situation. 
So as much as they don't want you to see that stuff, they want you to see that stuff. So uh, if it's on Netflix, we might be watching it. <laughs> Back to Bubbles. So I love Bubbles. I mean, <laughs> you, you see Bubbles through, again, all the ups and downs. He's a snitch. He he really is how they even get into any of the stuff to know who's who and what to do. And he's awesome. He's great. And he's going to be around for, you know, uh, a while. He's a he's a major part in in this Wire story. I do like him and Kima's relationship. Because part of we didn't say about Kima, she gets shot. Yes. That's, that's the MacGuffin for the second part of season one. She basically gets shot. Now the pressure's on to get these fucking cop killers. Mm-hmm. And that spurs on the whole, let's get this Barstale organization type thing. Mm-hmm. And how he reacts to that. He cares for her. She cares for him. When he was trying to get clean right before that happened, and she was going to help him. She was going to get him some furniture, some clothes, you know. It's 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 a friendship. It's not just a snitch. They care for each other. They've grown to care for each other and love each other. You know, not everything don't have to be romantic love, right? But like, Bubbles, like you said later on, I love Kima. Like, you know, and I'm sure she loves him too, right? Like, it's like you, it started out as a work thing, but really got cool. And you see him try to get clean. You see him go with his boy uh, Johnny to the the Narcotics Anonymous meeting, and he starts drinking the Kool Aid, and he wants to try. You even see him find his sister, and you know all that stuff. Um, and I think sometimes you don't, it's easy to forget that those type of people have people, right? Like he wasn't, he wasn't a baby junkie that just grew into an adult junkie, right? Like he has a family somewhere, right? And this is, I think it's- I mean, he got a kid, he got a kid and everything. It's easy for us to kind of put those people in that box and not really, to take away their humanity in a way. And I have to remember not to do that, you know, because it's easy. So your boy, the the other most important other the homicidal, homicidal, homosexual, <laughs> homosexual, yeah, double H homicidal, homosexual. That's a good one for Omar. <laughs> the homicidal homosexual. Omar um, Devon Little, as he would say. Damn, you she know his whole government. He said it in the court scene, which is season two. No, but you you do do that with people. Like what? What's my man's name? What did you call him? Um, Ned Stark. What's his Sir Nitter. No, you, that wasn't. Eddard Stark. Yeah, and I was like, who the fuck is Eddard? And you were like, I was like, his name's Ned. You always do that. But anyway, Omar says it. Omar Devon Little. Where do I start with Omar? Let me count the ways. Knowledge and plan. Omar is a... <laughs> Omar would love the fact that you love him. <laughs> Omar is... I forget what show it was. It was the 18. In the movie, the 18... The new 18 movie. They were like, everybody had a plan. And they were like, you know what messed up their plan? You give a psycho a machine gun. Omar, everybody has a plan. Omar's this psycho with a gun who comes and messes up everybody's plans. I don't know why I call Omar a psycho. He's very much Robin Hood. He is Robin Hood. I'm just saying psycho because that was was mentioned at 18. But like, he just, he's... A criminal with a cause who messes up everybody's plans. He's like the Punisher or anyone else that falls into these comic books you listen to. A vigilante that has a moral compass that's here to right the wrongs. His actual moral compass is higher than the Punisher's, though. How so? Because the Punisher is trying to kill. Like, like Omar couldn't... Like, he wasn't trying to kill them kids. When he robbed the stash house, he wasn't trying to... He just wanted yeah. to dope and get there alone. The only reason he killed Stinkum and, you know, did, and we'll get to what he what do with Bird. What they did to Brandon. Brandon is his lover. lover. And he said it best. He was like, I don't have a problem with 
somebody in the gang getting killed when the other part of their crew got killed. He was like, his enemies have enemies. He was like, so I understand that. He was like, Brandon was just following me around or whatever. And, I, and he couldn't wrap his well, head around that. Yeah. That's your guilt, homie. Like, I do love Omar. Don't get me wrong. But how are you coming after me when you got your person? The game's a game, right? And he always says that. So, like... It's it didn't all, apply to him. Yeah. It's, again, you know, it's it's all good until you get punched in the face, like you like to say. Uh, he got punched in the face, and then his code, so to speak, kind of went out. He tried to redo his code based on... Make that. it convenient for him. Yeah. I will say this about Omar. One of the things, and I will say this, the things that make Omar and Stringer Bell great is that they know how to they know how to get information and manage information for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Like what makes Omar a great robber is that he a lot of him was just sitting back watching and waiting, right? So and like seeing the signs and like, seeing the signs, you know where they're going, like to figure out where the re up was, the stash houses, who got what. He just sit back and watch. And it's crazy all the stuff you can learn if you just sit back, sit back and, watch. and watch. Like so many people want to be like, yo, where's the stash house? <laughs> you know what I mean? They want it right then, right? Mm-hmm. And so, like, a lot of oh, my character is he sits back in the cut and just watches and waits, and he's opportunistic, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, even when he goes, he almost kills Avon. So, let's go on to say that. Like, a lot of that was just him watching and waiting, right? Like, he hooked up with Prop Joe. We probably do need to mention Prop Joe in this. Because, no, Prop Joe ain't nobody until later. But, I mean, he's in this season. He's the one who sets up the meme with, with uh, Omar and Stringer Bell. So, nothing else, Prop Joe... And he had that hilarious scene where they playing the basketball. So what Avon is to West Baltimore, Prop Joe is to East Baltimore. That's enough. To, that's all we need to say about Prop Joe right now. What happens with Omar is this. I think that he, I say, I think that he adjusts his code for himself. But even with Weebay, right? Like he shoots Weebay. He can he kills Thinkum and shoot Weebay. He could have killed Weebay, but he didn't. For whatever reason. I mean, he didn't do it because he didn't want... He tried to kill Weebay. And then once he, he shot him, he just left him with a mess. It didn't work out for him. But he is not... Don't make it paint a picture like he was like, oh, I'm going to cut you some slack, young Weebay. I thought it was. No. Weebay was sitting there ready to, ready to croak. And he, he had him on the ropes and he let him off the hook. Not for all twisted reasons. I forget what happened. Was it the cop? The sirens started coming? Oh, he or? just said... He just left him with the A. When you come at the king... Yes, my mix. Oh, Mike, I think he he did what he needed to do. And that's my point. So, like, but it wasn't like he gave him mercy. Agreed. And I think that, like, like with Avon, he didn't give Avon no mercy, right? Like, he going at Avon, he hit his ass, right? And his whole point was he turned snitch too, right? So, like, he throws everything out the window. He gets from McNulty and stuff like that. He, you kill my boy, now I'm at you. However, I can get I mean, at you. He's a lover. You know, a scoring lover. Not scoring because his lover didn't do shit to him, but he lost, you know, his thing. His thing thing. And now he's reacting off of emotion. And I think that, of course, him being homosexual is the most interesting thing about him. But it's interesting for another reason. I think everybody underestimates him because he's homosexual. Like, I think that the Barksdale organization didn't think he was capable of what he was because he's homosexual. Well, they quickly learn. I mean, he walks down the street. They say, Omar's coming. Omar's coming. You see in the one scene where all he does is knock on the door and say, yo, I know y'all got the stash. They drop it out the window. They ain't trying to They ain't trying to see him for nothing. Yeah. I mean, he's a, a freaking hero of the streets. He's like folklore. He's Robin Hood. He is. And going back to his Robin Hood thing, he comes back and gives a lot of dope away, right? Like, he robs them and just gives the dope away yeah. to the people, right? Like, 
I he think gives it the prop Joe. He gives it the prop Joe, but remember he gave the girl some too. Well, the girl, they have a symbiotic relationship. He stays over there so he can watch stuff. She tells him stuff, and he gives her dope. Yeah, but I think that Omar, he's the wild card in all this, right? Like because of him, a lot of stuff gets moved forward, right? So like Omar, he snitches, he points to cops. He's actually the stuff the wire can't get them. Omar gets them. Yeah, the way the the quote quote unquote correct way, the procedural way, the you know the the law enforcement way, the streets, which again is another important part of like what one way ain't gonna get you is gonna get you another way. Yeah. So that's enough. We listed all the characters. Kind of talked about season one. This kind of talked all, all the main storylines of season one. So how do you feel? You watched season one. You've officially got your wire cherry popped. So I told you, I've I told you, like, maybe I'll watch season two. It was good enough to get to season two. I do still think it's what New Jack City would have been if somebody had time to really draw it out. Like, I do think it's, we've seen this story before, but they had time and they had people like cops, in, like you said, the guy, they had another perspective, right? Like a real world perspective to draw this out. So I do think that that was a good part of it. I think that, you know, they had time to, t- they had, time to take care with it and they did well i'm so glad i felt like i gave you that first hit that that yellow top you got your first high and now you're coming back for season two so my job as a as a wire pusher is is done i think i have a a customer for life hopefully um so I, i like that um what are you excited about or are you excited at all about to watch other seasons is there are there storylines you want to see more of, uh, like, what are your thoughts as we go into another season? So, what happens to Omar, first and foremost, or whatever? What happens to Stringer Bell and Barksdale? Because it ends with Barksdale going to jail. Everybody basically goes to jail or dies, except for in the Barksdale organization. Stringer Bell don't go to jail. Except for Stringer Bell. Stringer Bell, Poot, and Brody, out of everybody we've talked about on the drug side, Bodie, those three are the ones who survive without any repercussions. Mm-hmm. So, like, what happens to the Barstale organization? What happens to Stringer Bell in general? And what happens to Brody? Because, like, Bodie, excuse me, Bodie is, it sets him up to be something mm-hmm. bigger in the organization after season one. So, for the people who haven't seen The Wire and that are maybe listening, would you encourage them to watch it? Especially, yeah, during COVID, yeah. Especially, I, do, I will say this. It is dated in how it's shot. Like, a lot of the blood scenes are fake. Like, is. Like I mean, the, they got pagers. Like, right there tells you. You see Sean John and Valor and... Yeah, but, like, some of those can just... Like, the cinematography for those type scenes isn't great. Like, it just be implied. But, like, some of this... Like, we you begin... You're so bougie. You always talk about cinematography. Yeah, I'm just saying... Y'all like, didn't know that Darren went to the NYU film school, <laughs> did y'all? Because he does talk about this. This is real life when we go to see a movie. He'll be like, oh, I love the cinematography. I'm like, I don't even know what that means. Like... <laughs> Nah, it's just one of them things where it's like, um, how it's shot matters. A, 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 a bad movie can be made into a decent movie with how it's shot, and a, and a good piece of content can be less than what it is from how it's shot. And that's, The Wire isn't that, but you can tell, you can say, hey, this was shot before, like. I get it, Martin Scorsese. Yeah, so I would say. What happens to Omar and what happens to the Barksdale organization is kind of the most interesting thing. Also with Kima, right? Because we leave season one with Kima in a coma. 
I think. Yeah. Yeah, so. Well, I would say, like, once you actually post this, I would say if any of your listeners want to get on with us, we should invite them so we can have a well-rounded wire talk. Yeah. It doesn't need to just be a Darren thing. Well, you don't have to say you're real nice. No, you can bleep that out then. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little lazy. I might not say it. Damn! Yeah. Come on, now. Alright, so top four characters in the show after season one. Bubbles. Stringer Bell. Omar. I don't even want to pick a fourth and a fifth. I got three. Okay. I'll do mine. First is D'Angelo, by far. It's a landslide. Second is Omar. Third is Lester Freeman. Fourth is Weebay. Oh, I forgot about Weebay. My boy. He's my number four. I'm not going five. Fourth one. If I had to choose a five, if I had, if I had to choose a five, it would be Bodie Town. It would be Bodie if I had to choose a five. Well, you actually chose a cop. None of mine were cops. I think Lester was, on the cop side, Lester turned out to be the most interesting. Well, you think Kima is sexy at some point. I said the way she moves her head is sexy. Which is the most random weird thing ever. Hey, you like Stringer Bell. I like, I just said Kima had bob her head sexy. I did say Stringer Bell walks like he got a big dick. Exactly. So that's a, <laughs> you know, you said take that for what it is or whatever. <laughs> on a scale of one to ten, what would you give season one? <laughs> a seven, eight, seven or eight. I would have gave it a solid 8.5. Oh, wow. I thought it was, again, problems with standing. And even though I do think that the things that were really, the D'Angelo, Omar, and Lester, and to a lesser extent, Bubbles, made for really good TV. Okay. Well, I will say this. Season two of The Wire, by the novice Wire watcher, people will say it sucks. It does not suck. It shows you a different look. Well, then introducing some different people to again give you that 360 view. Because there are things happening in the world outside of cops and robbers and stick-ups and junkies. There are other things at play. And it gives you just another dynamic of it. It looks a little different. It feels a little different. But embrace it. Because, again, all, all five seasons of The Wire are intentionally meant to give you different looks at a, at, at a city. Get a full view of the drug, drug gang, right? And not even just drugs. Like, uh, drugs is what the vehicle that we're focused on, but as a whole, it's it's a, it's a story of an inner city. Mm-hmm. Thank you guys for watching. This has been DigitalDarren.com. Make sure to, we'll have this series going. Darren finally watches the Wire series. It also, if, if you're not a Patreon listener, go back and become a Patreon subscriber. We have an episode zero where we talk about why we're even doing this podcast. It's a lot, a lot of good, fun content on there. This has been DigitalDarren.com. Thank you for listening. Make sure to tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend.